Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. God's good. Genesis chapter 3, let's pick up here tonight. Uh, We want to continue with this uh, concept that we've been dealing with, anointed for authority. And I think this is the 12th part of this. And we dealt last Wednesday about uh, humility and how it plays into authority and how pride uh, 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 works against authority. You, You have to learn, we've been talking about how authority works how to operate authority. Uh, We're dealing with issues now, what hinders authority. Because a lot of people in the church, a lot of believers have this idea that, you know, if I have authority, it'll just, you know, uh, I can just take authority over over whatever. Well, if, if that was true, if that was true, then there would be certain instances in the Bible that, that we would see that. And, and one of the, one of the, and I'm not going to preach on this tonight, but one of the, the, the biggest ones is, you know, when Paul was on the boat headed to Rome and the storm set in, why didn't Paul just stand up and take authority over the storm and stop it? He couldn't because there are other people's will involved. Now, there are people that will say, you know, if Jesus had been on that boat, he would have. No, you can't prove that from Scripture. There, there were times in the scripture that the Bible says there were things Jesus couldn't do because of people's will. If, if I learn what will hinder the authority operating in my life, if I will learn what will cause it to operate on a higher level, victory will be assured. So the humility of Jesus is one of, if not the main factor, in his rega- regaining the authority that was given away by Adam and Eve through disobedience and pride. In Genesis chapter 3 and uh, verse 1, it says, The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, Has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God has said you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now notice, for he knows that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened and you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. You'll be as gods. That's what, that's what Satan said, it's what Lucifer said in Isaiah 14, 14. I will be like God. All right, that was his goal. That was his idea. That was what he thought. Uh, here's what I'll do, is I'll ascend up above the clouds and I'll be like God, all right? And now he's telling Eve, he's saying, look, God knows that when you eat of that tree, you're going to be like him. That's why he don't want you to eat of it. And then notice, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate and gave to her husband with her and he did eat. So notice, the the enemy is saying, look what this tree will do for you. Look what it will do for you. It's good for food. 
right? It's pleasant to the eyes. It'll make you wise. It'll make you like God. And the word is clear. Once Eve started to look at that tree through the lens of what it could do for her, she overrode what God had implicitly said. Don't eat of that tree. So this tells us something. Pride caused her to look at that tree in a way she had never looked at it before. What this tree can do for me. It's good for me. It'll make me wise. Hallelujah. It's pleasant to my eyes. Now, she had seen this tree before. Obviously, she's in the garden. But the Bible says, and when the woman saw. So there were things about the tree that she had never saw until she started looking at it through the lens of what it could do for her. Amen. And what she did, though, the, the Bible says she saw the tree, but the moment she started looking at it wrong, she came, became blind. Because she can't see what God's saying now. Because of what she's seeing. Pride blinds. Humility illuminates. Pride blinds. That, that's why you can see somebody that's, that's, that's involved in, in prideful activity and they can't even see what they're doing, the wrong that they're doing, because pride blinds. Humility illuminates. The, the moment a person says, okay, I, I need to take the low road. I need to humble myself and, and, and ask forgiveness or whatever the case may be. The moment they do that, things are illuminated. They can see what to do. But, but as long as they're operating through the lens of pride, they can't see what needs to be done. In uh, Genesis right there, you're in chapter 3, verse 11. The father is talking to Adam and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Notice, now, everybody's done this. All of us have done this. We've all blamed others for things, that, mistakes we've made. So it's not an indictment against Adam and Eve in, in that sense. But here's what I do want you to see. Pride blames others for its failures. You know, I don't know what would have happened if Adam would have said, you know what, I blew it. I ate of the fruit. I shouldn't have let her talk me into it or whatever. She should have just said, I shouldn't have listened to the serpent. You know, I believe God would have forgiven him. The Bible doesn't say. But here's the point. When you start laying blame, that's pride. Amen. Well, yeah, I acted that way, but no, 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 you're about to, you're about to get into pride. <laughs> let, let, me, let me teach over here for a minute. You're, 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 you're about to get into pride because I'm blaming. I'm not taking responsibility. I've told you the story. I think I, I used to, to have a guy that, that was on my staff, and, uh, and, uh, and he would get mad and lose his temper. And when you, when you would confront it and try to correct it, there was always a reason. Well, yeah, I did, but. Yeah, I, I got mad and I threw a fit, but. Well, yeah, but they, they needed to hear what I had to say. Well, see, that's arrogance. That's pride. 
Amen. When, when, when the Bible warns not to be a person that's quick-tempered, the Bible warns about not being volatile. Is that right? Now that same person, that same man, I watched him want certain principles of authority to operate in his life, and they wouldn't operate. Well, well why won't they operate? Because you cannot violate certain things that God says and expect other things to work. They, they, they just won't. Amen. I ate the fruit, but the woman gave it to me. I ate the fruit, but the serpent deceived me. The, the only one that didn't lay blame was the most prideful one of all of them. The serpent. <laughs> Not giving him any credit. It's just the way it is in the Word. Amen. Pride does not think obedience first. Pride thinks what I want first. Pride thinks what do I desire first. What, what, what do I want? And, and that's one of the main reasons that pride and authority are incompatible. Because, because pride thinks, what do I want? What do I desire? And so in order to operate in a full measure of authority, obedience and humility are a prerequisite. They're a prerequisite. In uh, Matthew chapter 11... And uh, verse 28. Notice what Jesus said. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So notice Jesus described himself as meek and lowly. And we talked Last week, this word meek is only used once in the Bible. And it's right here in reference to Jesus. And it simply means humble. So Jesus said, I want you to learn something of me. I'm humble. And then he stated that he was lowly. That means lowly in spirit or humble. We saw last week Jesus never drew attention to himself. He would heal people and then say, see, no man knows it. Don't tell anybody. He tells his disciples he's the Christ and then says, don't tell anybody I'm the Christ. Because I don't want to draw attention to myself. Amen. And he said, that's the thing you got to learn about me is I'm humble, I'm meek, I'm, I'm lowly in spirit. Amen. Now, religion takes humble and paints a picture that the Bible doesn't paint. What religion paints as humility is actually false humility and is colored by pride. Well, you know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have anything. I don't need anything. I don't need anything of this old world's goods. I'm just humble. I'm just lowly. I'm just drawing attention to yourself. Right? You understand? Some of the most humble people I know are the most prosperous people I know. 
but they don't draw attention to themselves. It's not about what they have, where they live, what they drive, how they dress. It's, it's about the giver of those things. All right? Th this is so important because humility must never be looked at as something that deprives us or something that costs us. Humility qualifies you for more. Humility qualifies you for more. No, notice in, in Matthew chapter 18, Matthew 18 and verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now here's what, Math, Matthew's uh, a little nicer than Mark. Mark, in Mark chapter 9, lets you know that they were arguing about who's the greatest along the way. All right? Matthew says uh, they came to Jesus and asked. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, except you be converted and become as little children, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the disciples wanted to know who would be the greatest. Now, they were, they, were, they were discussing that among themselves. What they meant was, who among us is going to be the greatest? Right? And, you know, they did that a couple different times. Discussing who was the greatest. The Roos Bible says that he called to himself a little child. He stood it in their midst and said, I'm saying to you assuredly, unless you reverse your present trend of thought, and become of little children, in no case will you enter into the kingdom of heaven. Unless you reverse your present trend of thought. So Jesus said they needed to reverse that present trend of thought. What was their present trend of thought? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? I've seen this at times over the years in ministry. Is, uh, you know, people would come to the church and, 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 and they would have a, a calling on their life or a gifting in their life. And it was all about, when do I get to use my gift? When do I get to use my gift? When do I get to use my gift? Well, I don't know you, so you're probably not going to get to use your gift right off because I don't know you. Right? But if that, if, that is, if that is the focus, if that's the focal point, when do I get to do what I do? When do I get to show people how great of a teacher, a preacher, a musician, a singer, a, a whatever I am? When do I get to show all my good ideas? Right? Well, see, that hinders a person from growing. That person will bounce from church to church to church to church because it's all about them. And a church functions as a body. A church functions as a group, not just as one person. Amen. I've said for years, I've said for over 20 years, this is not the Philip and Michelle show. This is, this is not about what we get to do. This is about what God has asked us to do and our part of it. Amen. And, and when you deal with, with, with a prideful issue, just somebody that wants to be great, somebody that wants people to hear them preach or hear them teach or hear them sing or whatever the case may be, well, that won't work because it... it, it it, it works counterintuitive to the body. 
in, in, your, just in your natural human body, if the right arm wanted all the attention, right? And it's always trying to get the job done. Or if the left arm wanted all the attention and wanted to do its own thing, well, your body's going to be at a disadvantage because you can't do what you need to do because there's part of it that wants all the attention. Is that right? Amen. Hallelujah. I've had people come and say, you know what, you know what, I'm, I'm a great singer. I'd really fit into the praise team. No, you wouldn't. Because you're too much about you. I mean, we like great singers, and we've got great singers, and we've got good singers. But they all work together. They all work in harmony. They all work as one. Right? It's not, I need to be the lead, or I need to be out front, or, or I need to this. See, that, that hinders what you're able to do. Ever how gifted you are, pride will hinder you from being able to operate in that gifting because that gifting is not given to you for you to make you big, to make you something. It's given to edify and build up the body. So important. It's so important. Amen. And so Jesus said, reverse that present trend of thought. Reverse that. And he said what? Become as a little child. Now this is so important. How, how's a little child? Un, unpretentious? They're not worried about where they get to sit. My child has never worried one time. Coming to church. Daddy, where am I going to get to sit? Am I going to get a front row? Amen. Hallelujah. What if, what if, what if somebody else gets there before us? That's not how they think. They, they, just, they just love coming to church. They just love being with people. Amen. Hallelujah. They don't look at a gift that you buy them and think, wow, wonder how much you spent on that. Not much. Right? Why would somebody think that way? Because they're thinking about themselves. Not about the gift. A very humble person said, it's not the gift, it's the thought. Somebody very humble said that. Had to. Because that's not, now, now don't misunderstand me, you know, right? I mean, you want to give a good gift. But the point that I'm making is you don't look at it and think, this is not worthy of me and my greatness. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. So, so Jesus said, you need to convert yourself. You need to reverse that present trend of thought. And notice what he said. And humble yourself. Whoever humbles himself. There are areas of authority and rule that I can't enter into apart from humility. Humility qualifies me for more. Because when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about rule and talking about authority. And he says there's areas that you can't enter into if you don't, notice, humble yourself and become like a little child. I'm to humble myself. One translation says, uh, the Woosh Bible actually says, 
And then you'll be thinking truly about yourself. When you humble yourself, you think truly about yourself. Amen. And Jesus said, humility is what makes you great. Verse 4, whoever will humble himself with this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So humility has to become our nature. You know, there, there's a statement in the Bible that the Bible makes about Moses that was, that was never lost on me. And it was this. It says, now the man Moses was the meekest man on the face of the planet. Now, I don't know how many people were on the earth at that time. I know he was leading a few million. But the Bible says on the face of the earth. He was the meekest man on the face of the earth. And you can see that over and over and over and over and over again. And the, and the Bible talks about Jesus being raised up who was a prophet like unto Moses. Well, why didn't it say a prophet like unto Elijah or Elisha? It said Moses. Because Jesus said, I'm meek and lowly, and Moses was the meekest man on the face of the planet. So it wasn't just a prophet in terms of power and terms of miraculous ability as much as it was a prophet along the lines of Moses in that he's meek and lowly. Some, somebody that operates in authority does not have to assure you or show you that they can operate in authority. We talked about that last week. The devil said to Jesus, he said, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. In other words, prove it. Show me something. Prove that you're the Son of God. Well, Jesus could have said, step back now. I'm going to show you. But what would he have been doing? That, that would have been drawing attention to himself. That would have been, I'm going to prove that I am who I am. But he, of course, he referred him back to the Word of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Well, what was that? Humility. He, he could have turned stones into bread, but he obeyed the will of the Father and did not draw attention to himself and pointed the glory back to God. Hallelujah. In uh, Matthew 23. <coughs> Matthew 23 and verse 12. Whoever will exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself will be exalted. Mm. You humble your, you exalt yourself, and you're abased. You humble yourself, and you're exalted. Now, now, now that's a two-edged sword. They, right? Because there, there are people that try to humble themselves just to be exalted. <laughs> just to prove how humble I am. Well, the moment you try to prove how humble you are, we see how much pride you have. See, that's why it's a two-edged sword. That's, that's why the statement that, that the, the Lord uh, gave Pastor Caldwell so many years ago is so, so powerful. 
when he was praying in his office and he looked at that picture of Jesus on the wall and out of his spirit came the words, in Christ I have no identity of my own. I asked him one time, I said, how'd that make you feel when, when the Lord said that to you? He said, it was just like I turned to water. It just, everything. It was, it was, just, it was just so impacting. When, when you have no identity of your own and it's all consumed in Christ, there's nothing to be prideful about because Christ is all. That's why the Bible says, if I boast, let my boast be in Him. That's what Paul said. If I boast, I'm going to boast in Christ and in what He does through me. Now, Paul, Paul gave his credentials a few times in the Word of God. He let us know that he, was, that he was educated. He let us know that he was a Pharisee and circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, touching the law of Pharisee, touching the law blameless. Now, I've had people say, well, you know Paul wasn't blameless. He said he was. And if he lied, then we got a liar writing in the Bible. Touching that ceremonial law, he was blameless. Wasn't blameless where sin was concerned because none of us were. But, but, but think about that. But what did he say about that? I count all of that as garbage. That I might what? Win Christ. Amen. He, he, Paul never defended himself. They, they called him all kinds of names. His, his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. And Paul said, well, okay, just, just let them know, though, that when I'm in their presence, as I am in my letters, that's how I'm going to be there. Amen. That's so important. Glory to God. When, you're, when your identity is consumed in Christ, then there's nothing to boast in but Christ. Do, do you see that? Because my identity is found in Him, not in me. Remember what Paul said? He said, he said I'm not going to boast in works of righteousness that I have done because I can't. Everything about our salvation points to Christ. It points to what He did on the cross. It points to redemption that I had nothing to do with other than receiving it. Right? How humble would you be to somebody that saved your life? You were drowning, going down for the last time, and they saved you. But what could you ever, how, what, how could you ever be prideful around that person? You couldn't because you'd be dead if it wasn't for them. They saved you. You couldn't save yourself, but they saved you. The Bible says that, that we were without hope. No hope without God in this world. The Bible says in the book of Romans that for a righteous man, some would, would think about dying and some would even dare to die, but that God sent His Son into the earth while we were of no use whatsoever to Him, and while we were yet in sin, He sent Jesus to die for us, and the only thing you have to do is to humble yourself and call Jesus Lord, and you receive eternal life. That's it. That's, that's, that's all I've got to do, is just humble myself and ask Jesus to be my Lord. That's a pride breaker. 
Because somebody else is in charge of my life. Somebody else is calling the shots. Somebody else is making the decisions. And then when I do that, he says, now I'm going to give you my authority. I'm going to give you my name. I'm going to give you the ability to call things that be not as though they were. I'm going to give you this authority and this power to change things in your life. Just stay humble. Just stay connected to the source. That's why Jesus would use parables like this. And he would say, I'm the vine. Now, th now think about that. Guys, I'm the vine. You're the branch. In, in other words, don't get out of your place. I'm the vine. You're the branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> Isn't that powerful? But all I got to do is stay connected. Because, because the same life and vitality in the vine is in the branch. Amen. Did, do you see that? And so when my identity becomes consumed in Christ, and, 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 and that's what we see so much of today. It's, I mean, folks, we don't even have to talk about racial issues. Look at political issues. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm an independent, so I'm better than you. That's pride. That's pride. <laughs> Lost my crowd. Amen. What, what, whatever it may be, when your identity becomes swallowed up in who Christ is, the Bible says there's no longer Jew nor Greek, male or female, bond or free. In other words, I can't brag on being a man or brag on my ethnicity. It's all swallowed up in Christ. Christ is all. Everything is found in Christ. That, that's the answer. That, that's the answer. It's not backing off the truth that's the answer. Backing off the truth is prideful because you're afraid of what people might think. Humility says this is the answer, and I love you, and you may not like it, and you may not appreciate it, but this is still the answer. Amen. Hallelujah. I, there was a pastor ministering just not too long ago, one of the pastors in our fellowship, and they made a statement. And, and I heard the statement when they made it. I was watching their, their, their service. And it wasn't a bad statement. They, they, they were talking about how they were raised and that they were not raised with prejudice in their home. They were not raised to recognize color. They were not raised to recognize black, white, or other. And people say, was that true? Yes, it was true. It was my sister preaching, and that's how we were raised. Amen. My father would tell us over and over again, the color of a man's skin has no bearing on the goodness of that man. Whether they're black or Hispanic or whatever they are. Man, there were two ladies in the service that got mad, got mad about that statement and huffed out. And somebody happened to contact them and say, you know, uh, uh, so that you left, is everything okay? Well, the pastor said she don't see color. And they said, okay. Well, I want them to see color. That's pride. I, I want you to see me. I want you to see how white I am. Or how black I am. Or how Hispanic I am. Or how female I am. Or how male I am. That's pride. My identity 
has to be swallowed up in Christ. If you think somebody owes you something because you're a woman, you have pride. If you think somebody ought to bow down to you just because you're a man, you have pride. If you think somebody owes you something because you're white, black, Hispanic, Asian, or other, that's pride. Nobody owes any of us anything. What we are, we are by the grace of God. Amen. Am, am I helping you? God can do more for you than your ideas about what people ought to do for you. But all, what do I have to do? Humble myself. Humble myself. You know, when I was a boy growing up, we used to have foot washings. I don't know if anybody remembers foot washings or feet washings, whatever, we, whatever they called them. I don't remember. But, right? You know the whole point of a foot washing? You know, it's, it's kind of out of place because, I, you know, I really didn't understand why we were doing it, but you study in the Word of God. What was the whole point? Jesus was trying to, in the night before Jesus went to the cross, the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. Can you imagine? And remember what Jesus did? He took off his outer cloak, put a towel around his waist, and started washing their feet. And what did he say? I'm the master, I'm the son of God, but I'm among you as a servant. And he got to Peter, oh prideful Peter. Now, I'm poking fun at Peter, but I've been there. You could say prideful Philip. But he got to Peter, and what did Peter say? Uh-uh, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have any part of me. Oh, then wash all of me. Right? But what was the purpose of washing feet? Look, I'm humbling myself, and I'm serving you. He's saying, guys, here's the key. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, don't argue about who's the greatest. So humble yourself and serve one another. Amen. Do you understand that? And, and it was those men that finally learned to humble themselves and, and find their identity in Christ that turned the world upside down. Oh, hallelujah. When we don't care... Who gets the credit? God can move at His fullest. When it, when, it, when it doesn't matter who gets the credit. And what you see in our societies today, everybody wants the credit. Everybody wants the credit. They change this. They change that. They No. God gets the credit. Oh, hallelujah. Do, do you see that? That's not a political commentary as much as it is that's what the issue has always been. Don't, don't, we got to understand something. The enemy loves to pit races and people against one another. He's been doing that from the genesis of time. Hallelujah. When there's not any difference among any of us in this room. People say, but you're white and I'm black. What does that have to do with anything? That, that's the wrapping. And I'm not really white anyway. I'm kind of tapioca. You're not really black. You're kind of mocha. Right? Hallelujah. Some of y'all are pink. 
I'm noticing. But I'm sort of gray, actually. But my, but, 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 but my point is, at what point do we look? What do you do when there's presents under the Christmas tree? Now, if you're weird, you might care about the, pack, the wrapping. But what do, most, what do children do uh, to nicely wrap packages that you spent hours wrapping and putting bows on and putting names on? Right? They, the, Dad reads the package. Okay, this is for Billy. And they hand, does Billy look and go, oh, my, what a nice bow. Oh, what good, a good taping job. Oh, they just rip it off. Because they want what's on the inside. I am not concerned about what's on the outside of you. I'm concerned about what's on the inside of you. And if we can get the inside going after the things of God, the outside won't matter. It just won't matter. Amen. Because that's just the wrapping. The, the Bible says in Christ, we are all one flesh. It says in the book of Acts, He made all men of one blood and one flesh. It's so important. And, 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 and so, you know, amen. I'll say this, and I've studied this extensively. The, the thing that made Dr. King so powerful in his, in, his, in his work was his humility. And there may be things you disagreed with him about. I'm sure there's things I disagree with, but you, the thing that made it so powerful was his humility. The nonviolent approach. Amen. You don't see that today. What you see today is you owe me because I'm this color. You owe me because I'm this gender. That's pride. And, that, and the Bible says pride goes before a fall. And, and that's why you see, all, and, and you can do with this whatever you want. I'm being led by the Holy Spirit. You do whatever you want to do with it. That's why you see all these people, come, things coming out. You know, uh, uh, they, they, they want riots in the streets, and, and they're all about, you know, bring down the man. And then you find out they're worth millions and living in mansions and, and taking all the money that these hardworking people that want change are giving into that, that group, and they're taking the money and living large on it, lying, telling people they're not. And it's the same way with every race. There are black folk doing that, white folk doing that, Hispanic folk doing that, and it's all pride. It's all pride. Amen. Somebody made me up a shirt. I was preaching, and I said, I said, you know, I'm, I, you know, you hear black lives matter and white lives matter and blue lives matter and all lives matter, and they do. I'm, I'm, I'm not making light of it, but they do. And I said, I want somebody to make me up a T-shirt with a, a hand holding the Bible saying, "Eternal life matters." Amen. Well, somebody did. They made me up a T-shirt. Hallelujah. <laughs> you say you're going to wear it. I'm going to wear it. Yes, I am. But, 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 but here, here, here's my point. Oh, glory. I don't know how exactly I got there other, other than by the Holy Spirit. The, the thing is, when, when anybody starts talking about how much I owe you, that's pride. Amen. That's pride. Because I, 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 I got to be cautious with that. Because if somebody did do me wrong... The Bible says, forgive your enemies. 
Love those that despitefully use and persecute you. You understand? I don't want to be, I don't want to be the best white preacher you know. I just want to be the best pastor I can be. White, black, or otherwise. Amen. I, I, I don't want the best white church or the best black church. I just want the best church. That doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter to me if it's three quarters white and, and, and a quarter black or doesn't matter to me. As long as we're doing what God tells us to do. It's man, it's man that draws lines. Black part of town, white part of town, Hispanic part of town, bad part of town. Who called it the bad part of town? Who's qualified to say that? Who's qualified to make that part of town the good part of town? Why is it the good part of town? Because no other ethnicity than a white guy lives there? Why is it the bad part of town? Because only black folk live there? Who drew that line? That west or north or south or east of this line, it's a bad part of town. Don't be caught down there after dark. Why? White folk can't kill you? Right? I wouldn't go down there without a black man. Why? I, it makes no sense. If your heart is for the city, you can't section up the city by what part of the city you want to come to your church or that you want to be a part of your life. Well, if you have an outreach down there, I'm not coming. Well, stay home. That's the only thing I know to say. I'm not mad at you. I understand. But just stay home. Glory to God. Because, because you can't let arrogance drive you. You know what Jesus got in trouble for? Jesus got in trouble for two things. For talking about how much the Father loved him and for associating with publicans and sinners. Hmm. Why was that so important? This was God sitting down with publicans and sinners. He humbled himself, and when the religious leaders said to his disciples, why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? Jesus piped up. Hey, because they're sick, and the sick need a physician. And the Son of Man came into the earth to seek and save that which was lost. Has that changed? Has that changed? I say, has that changed? Are, are, are there white folks lost? Are there black folks lost? Hispanic folks? So Jesus is in the earth today seeking to save the lost black, the lost white, the lost Hispanic, the lost Asian, the lost homosexual, the lost transgender. There's no line that you can cross that God won't start stop seeking you. Hallelujah. And when that barrier is dropped and I quit thinking about me, I can hear the truth. Oh, glory. I, I hope I'm helping you. Because, hear me, that's, that's what this church will always be about. It's changing people's lives. 
I don't care what ethnicity you are. If you come to this church and you give this church six months of your life, it'll change. It'll change. Everything will change about your life. Your marriage will change. Your finances will change. You're, if you're addicted, it'll, it'll, it'll leave your life. Amen. But i got to let my identity be swallowed up in Him. Amen. I used to travel and preach. I've only got about three minutes, so I probably won't get through my notes, but we got to get to one more scripture in just a moment. You give me five more minutes? How many give me five minutes? Okay, hang on. Five, 10, 15, 20, 25. No, not really. Not really. Uh, I'm only going to take five. But here, I, I used to travel a lot. And, uh, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Amen. And uh, uh, travel and minister. And I would get invited to go to a lot of African-American churches. And what always bothered me was they would introduce me and they'd say, we're so glad to have our white brother. Wait, why you got to say I'm white? I mean, I know you can tell, but how would you like to be around at Christmas and somebody comes, one of your friends, and, and uh, uh, your, one of your brother's friends, and he introduces you as, I want you to introduce you to my ugly brother. Right? If I'm your brother, right? Everybody's got ugly kin. Right? We're not saying who. Everybody does. Everybody's got that cousin. But here's the thing. You don't, you don't mention it. Hey, ugly. <laughs> Yeah, I'm white, but I'm your brother. Not your white brother, your brother. Yeah, you're black, but you're my brother. You're my sister, not my black brother, my black sister. There is nothing in the Bible that says black church, white church, Hispanic church, just the church, just the body of Christ. If God created everybody and the ethnicities that accompany us, then the blood of Jesus was shed for everybody, whatever ethnicity they are. And the Bible says when you become in Christed into the body of Christ, that you cease being whatever you were and you become the redeemed. So you're not the redeemed black or the redeemed white or the redeemed female or the redeemed male. You're just the redeemed. I think we're going to be surprised when we get to heaven and find out what color we really are. <laughs> Amen. Let me hurry. We humble ourselves. Matthew 23, 12, I, we, we talked about that. We humble ourselves and God exalts us. Now, very quickly, you can write these down. James 4, 10 and 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6, they both say, they say, when you humble yourself, God will exalt you. But the Bible says in the book of James that God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The humble get the grace. Why is that so important? God's power and God's ability. The humble get the grace. If I want God's power and God's ability to operate in my life like it could, I, I need to be humble about it. 
Amen. Philippians 2.5, the Apostle Paul said, let this mind be in you. King James says, let this mind be in you that also was in Christ. The Roos translation says, this mind be constantly having in you. This is the mind that Christ, which is also in Christ. And if you read that, verse 6, he says, concerning Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In the form of God, from the beginning. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The next verse, notice what it says. But made himself of no reputation. We talked about that. Drew no attention to himself, even though he was in the form of God. And took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Do you see that? Uh, the next one says, notice. And being found in fashion as a man, here it is. He humbled himself. He, who, now wait a minute. Who humbled him? God? Humbled himself. This was a voluntary act of submission. Any humility that you act out in your life will be voluntary on your part. He humbled himself and notice became obedient. We talked about that a few weeks ago. His obedience and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now watch this. This is so important. I know you've read these verses a multitude of times. But look at verse 9, and what's the first word? He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, or in light of that, because of that, God has highly exalted him. Humble yourself and God will exalt you. The pattern is Jesus. The prototype is Jesus. Jesus humbled himself, and God exalted him. And notice what it says. Wherefore God's highly exalted him, and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, wait a minute, to the glory of God the Father. So when you confess Jesus is Lord, Jesus doesn't get the glory, the Father gets the glory. Why? Because Jesus humbled himself, the Father exalted him, and when you confess Jesus is Lord, the Father gets the credit and the glory for the plan. But the Father don't worry about who gets the credit. He's just glad the plan worked. When you don't care who gets the credit, you'll be successful. Now see, what you, what you have to see here, and, and I'm going to finish with this. Jesus didn't become obedient at the cross. He became obedient when he humbled himself and became a man. In our English Bible, we see that this plan was in place in Genesis chapter 3. Notice, God did not declare it and then do it. He did it and then declared what He had done. He didn't declare it in Genesis 3 and then play catch up. He did it at the foundation of the world and then declared what He had already done. Humility and obedience go hand in hand. Humility obeys. Obedience is born of humility. I'll make this last statement. Because of his humility, Jesus was exalted to the highest position in the universe. Because of his humility. That's so important. 
Well, but he perfectly kept the will of the Father. How did he perfectly keep the will of the Father? He humbled himself to the Father's will. If you want to have a great marriage, try to outserve each other. Because a servant can be nothing but humble. Amen. I've, I've counseled marriages before. And I've talked to, to them and I've said, I've, I've asked this question for years in, in marriages. I've said, uh, uh, you know, what about, you know, helping each other out? Well, he doesn't do anything. He don't care what I do. He don't pay attention to how much I do. And I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that and I do this. And I say, oh, so you're keeping a record. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to be ugly, but you're keeping a record. That's, see, that's pride. Well, should he care? Well, yeah, he should. But, but think about this. Why do you cook? Now, I cook too. Not only women cook. I do a, a, the majority of the cooking in our home. But here's, here's the point. Why, why do you cook? For, for somebody to ring a bell and dance? Or because that's what we do? Right? You know, when a child's three, you might clap your hands and do a little jig because they took the garbage out. But we're not dancing when you're 18. That's what we do. Amen. We all work together to keep our home happy. We don't have coarse words. We don't have uh, uh, harsh words because that's not how you treat people. And even when you feel like having harsh words, you humble yourself and respond in love. Because harsh words are just usually to try to get your point across or prove how right you are. And here's the thing. I don't know why I'm saying this, but I'm going to say it before, as we close. You can yell people into submission. But it's not a godly submission. It's just to get you to hush. If I can't get it done by sweet words, I'm not going to get it done. Because that's humility. When the Bible says, love your wives as Christ loved the church, oh, wait a minute, and gave himself, humbled himself, and became obedient. Amen. And, and the church teaches about submission, submission in the marriage, submission of the wife, and submission of the husband, the both. But here's the thing. What, what's, what, is, what is submission about? Humility. Humility. And what happens? The Bible says you'll be blessed like Sarah was blessed when you do that. If we can just lose our self-identity and let that be swallowed up in Christ, then none of it matters. Hallelujah. Hallelujah because God will exalt us. Amen? Well, let's stand up tonight. Praise God. I believe we receive from the Lord Thank you, Jesus.